Today, we boldly go where no other Rob Observations episode has gone before. Yes, we are talking about Star Trek. Long overdue, we are going to talk Star Trek. We're going to talk the comics, the syndicated show. We're going to talk the original series, the cartoons, the motion pictures, the spinoffs, Picard. We have got it all prepared for you today as we look through Star Trek and its impact on pop culture over the ages on an all-new episode of Rob Observations. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Rob Observations. I am your host, Rob Liefeld. I make the comics, I write the comics, I draw the comics, I produce the comics. And for the last several years, I've been doing this Rob Observations podcast uh, to just share with you my absolute love and adoration of comic books, the comic book medium, comic book characters, as they have really left the realm of, of comic books and live now more prominently on the toy shelves, the video game shelves in the motion pe- motion picture theaters and uh and on our streaming and and television uh devices it, they're everywhere and and so uh having watched comic books when I when I got into comic books I thought I'm barely barely like scratching the surface of this amazing world of Marvel and DC comics cuz cuz I'm coming into this like 10 or 11 years after the company launched in 1973 1974 but Turns out, looking back, man, I was there earlier than I even, you know, could have anticipated. It, it, it certainly wasn't at the dawn of Marvel or or nowhere near the dawn of DC. But given how much time has passed since then, since my very first comic book, I mean, we're we're, we're looking at like you know uh, something like forty eight years, and uh, and I've been I've been I've been just consumed with comics. So I share that with you guys on this podcast as often as I can. And today we are going to um, finally get to a topic I can't believe, like looking back over three seasons, uh, more than three seasons, three years and multiple seasons, I, I cannot believe we have not discussed really in any way, shape or form, not with any, you know, uh, uh, amount of importance, the the phenomenon of Star Trek. I am a huge Star Trek fan. You wouldn't know it because it hasn't made its way up to the plate here as it has today. But I also don't regularly discuss my love of Mad Men, True Detective, The Sopranos, and uh, and, and so many other things that I absolutely adore. I, I, I am so always focused on on the comic books, but Star Trek has to be brought to light here, has to be discussed, especially given uh, the time that I've been giving to Star Wars lately, because the the Star Wars and the Star Trek, especially, there's a little bit yin and yang. I'm a fan of both. I know that there are people who are only Star Trek fans. I know that there are people who are only Star Wars fans and they they refuse to interact with either uh, kind of idea, concept, franchise. I've seen it. I've met them. They tell me. I've always, um, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't subscribe to that. I love them both. I love them both very much. The Star Wars film was more of a phenomenon that I could say I was there from day one. I'm a day one Star Wars person. That, that makes a difference. Star Trek, though, uh, was something that I was exposed to very early on, and it has a comic book component to it. And we're going to discuss a lot of what went on in those comic books today. Uh, unfortunately, you're going to find out that the comic books haven't really been terribly impactful, not in the same way that the Star Wars comics were impactful in kind of helping eventually create so much more of the lore uh, surrounding surrounding the franchise, especially now that Marvel has inter- interacted with Star Wars again. But look, 
This is a very Star Trek-centric episode, and we're going to delve into all things Star Trek right after we do our first kind of little bit, uh, we'll call this the tidbit segment, the tidbits that we kick off the, the episode with, because there's no way possible to uh, to make an entire episode of this subject. But it also, it, it's great if you've listened to Rob's observations, if you followed the show uh, and you listen to it regularly, I like to come back and plug in some details around subjects and and items that we've discussed to give you a broader sense of 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 the subject matter or the topic and that's what we're going to do here with the tidbits as we go further into discussing briefly just briefly the 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 impact I've talked about it but but it was it was blowing me away the actual impact of of Star Wars sales strictly the sales in comics and this one very specific chart that's going to enlighten you in regards to how it changed Marvel's fortunes and where Marvel comes in is obviously Star Trek, uh, when it was really roaring back into the consciousness, uh, licensed their their comeback to Marvel. So yeah, here, here we here we're going to get into the actual sales of Star Wars, which again for Marvel turned a corner for them, kept them in the black, while DC experienced a, a terrible implosion that nearly crippled the entire company. So so exactly one year into Marvel publishing Star Wars after they took this flight. This 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 risk uh, from the company perspective on this unknown property that Stan really wasn't thrilled about, but Roy Thomas uh, convinced everybody to take a flyer on. One year into Star Wars number twelve, this is uh, this is out in in nineteen seventy eight because uh, they started in April with Star Wars building building some some awareness. They got it out the first two issues out before Star Wars launched. So you got April, May, June, July, August, September. Is when they wrap up issue is when issue six comes out and wraps up the proper movie adaptation. So then October, November, December, you're in you're in issue seven, eight, nine, and then they they wrap up the initial Han Solo Chewbacca uh, solo spinoff, which was not the most successful uh, storyline for them, but it didn't matter. This book, there was no looking back. Uh, the, 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 this book was trucking. The 1978. Sales figures for Marvel Comics uh, <clears throat> will 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 bear out the most insane. Uh, I mean, I mean, these numbers are just absolutely incredible. Given that that this this was something that they they had to be convinced to do in the first place. The exact chart that I am reading from that charts the the sales uh, marking the first year's total uh, that, that that Star Wars was published under. Under Marvel Comics, which would again, uh, you get you by, by 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 issue nine, you're at the end of the year. So then, ten, eleven, twelve take you to March. Well, the uh, Star Wars had been in its first full year of publication uh, following the debut of the hit movie, and it totally changed the movie industry, the comic book industry, and the toy industry. They actually state here that the sales that they have estimated for 1978 are are um, Estimates and may potentially be much, much higher. The average Star Wars comic book in 1978 sold 280,000 comics, 280,000 units. Now, remember, the comics industry is in a bad time. Uh, newsstand p- distribution is struggling. DC cuts back almost 50% of its line because they're losing so much money. The DC explosion becomes the DC implosion. There's a dedicated podcast. Go back through my catalog if you'd like. I give an entire hour to the DC implosion. I take you through the nuts and bolts of how a uh, a plan to 
print more comics with more content and, and adjust the price and make it all much, much more friendly to the buyer with new content and new incentives completely backfired and they went into a tailspin. And this is 1978 that this happens to them. In the meantime, Marvel is thriving. Think about this, 280,000 units. They're almost doing 600,000 every two months, 1.2 million every quarter in just the average Star Wars comic book sales. This by far and away <clears throat> is uh, is outselling everything they have. Uh, Spider-Man, who again, if you look at the top five, I'm going to tell you what the top five comics for 1978 are. Star Wars, 280,000 copies, okay? Uh, averaging through the through the year of 1978. Number two is Amazing Spider-Man, which is incredible, which has 250,000 a month, Amazing Spider-Man. Spectacular Spider-Man, their spinoff, is the number three best-selling comic at 219,000. Marvel team-up featuring Spider-Man. You think Spider-Man has been popular your whole life? M- maybe way even before that, okay? Two, three, and four are all Spider-Man books. Amazing Spider-Man, Spectacular Spider-Man, Marvel Team-Up is doing 218,000 copies. And then Conan is number five. Conan has become number five. I've told you guys how incredibly important Conan was to Marvel. Conan was doing 215,000 units an issue in 1978 in the middle of a struggling comic book industry. To wrap up this, the thing that really took me aback after doing this, the dedicated Star Wars episode that we did in... Uh, Talking about the the I did a, I did I did a Rob Topsy that that really went into the nuts and bolts of the creation and the legacy. Well, I was flipping through. I wanted to go through each one of my of these books, and, and thank God I wanted to do it on in the newsstand versions, the ones that I grew up with. I didn't want to look at it in the omnibus or any of my trade collections. I wanted the newsprint. These are my comics. They're in, they're banged up. They're not in great condition. None of them are going to get high grades because they've been handled. They've been uh, you know completely read over and over and over again, but I've got them in my storage of books that I have, have had put away for, for four decades. So I went, I knew where the Star Wars box is. I got them out. I'm looking at issue 11. I'm looking at issue 12. It hits me. So issue 12, count along with me. <clears throat> there is one. There is two, three. There is four. There is five, six. There is seven. Okay, seven, eight. Eight full, I think that's it, eight full pages of house ads. A house ad is advertising what the house produces. The house is Marvel. House ads are in comic ads producing what the publisher produces. They inserted these into the book. Now, other big advertisers, full page ads for skateboards by Park Ryder. There is um, full page ads from Kenner advertising their Star Wars line of toys. But it's more than eight full page, full pages from Marvel's line. Every single book that Marvel was publishing got an ad. In the, the last page of the book, I'm going to go backwards here. The last page of the book. Look out world. It's the mighty Marvel superhero explosion. Five all new action blockbusters on sale now. Thor with a picture and a logo. Captain America, picture and a logo. It's split up into different lightning bolts. Black Panther, all out action as you like it. And watch out for the all new Ms. Marvel in her brand new late in the series. Dave Cockrum designed uh, outfit and then Iron Man. Now more than ever, Marvel. Now more than ever, this is the Marvel Age of Comics. This is the last page. They are pushing their individual solo Marvel superhero titles: Thor, Cap, Black Panther, Ms. Marvel, Iron Man. You'd eventually go on, I guess, to say this is the Avengers family of titles. So a couple pages before that, there is two house ads facing each other. Two full page ads. 
the the uh, <clears throat> one ad is a is is again splitting off into five columns. There's a circle in the middle, and then it breaks into two up top, and then you go three on the bottom. It's all their team books. The Avengers, Iron Man, Captain America, The Vision, Scarlet Witch, Wonder Man, The Beast, and many more. It says, get in on the Marvel Comics supergroups. On sale now. The world's greatest comic magazine, Fantastic Four, Human Torch, Mr. Fantastic, The Thing, and Invisible Girl. These were their top sellers. That's why they're at the top, and they get half of the page. Then they they devote the bottom 50% of the page. They, they, they break up the three. The most dynamic non-team ever. They'd always advertise the Defenders as a non-team. And all of these have the current covers that were coming out that month. Uh, the Defenders is the non-team. The Hulk, Valkyrie, Night ha- uh, Nighthawk, Hellcat, and a few surprises. The all-new, all-different, uncanny X-Men. It's got the Dave Cockrum, Giant Size X-Men number one drawing uh, with, with uh, Phoenix from X-Men 101 superimposed in the background. Cyclops, Phoenix, Storm, Wolverine, Colossus, Nightcrawler. And then the greatest superheroes of World War II, Captain America, Human Torch, Union Jack, Submariner, Spitfire. So this page is devoted to their team books. So we, we've got two pages and we've advertised 10 titles. Well, then the page, the, 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 the one facing that, the, the full page house ad facing that is broken up into three different columns. Thrill to Robert E. Howard's Greatest Heroes. It has Cole. It has Conan in the, in the middle. It has Red Sonia. I just told you Conan is their number five bestselling book. It says Cole by Don, Don Glutt and Ernie Chan. Conan by Roy Thomas and John Buscema. Red Sonia by Roy Thomas, Claire Noto, and Frank Thorne. On sale now. Then below it says, Enter the Strange Worlds of Edgar Rice Burroughs, a trip you will never forget. Uh, Tarzan in a dedicated panel and John Carter, Warlord of Mars, all of them have their logos and they say both on sale now. So, so now we've advertised 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 Marvel comics in what is their best selling comic. They know that people are buying Star Wars. It is the most popular selling comic book in all of comic books. So they are going to make sure that you, if you pick up this book, Star Wars number 12, which is selling 280,000 copies, it is the top selling comic in the comic book world, not just for Marvel. They, are, they want to make sure that if you're going to go and look at the further adventures of the characters that you love from Star Wars, that you are going to see all the Marvel characters as well. The Man Called Nova, Captain Marvel, The Incredible Hulk, Shang-Chi, Master of Kung Fu, and Daredevil, The Man Without Fear. This ad says, behold the Marvel galaxy of superstars, all at your newsstand, not very far, far away. So borrowing Star Wars lingo for this house ad. That's four house ads out of eight. Well, you turn the page, you have two more house ads facing each other. They want you to know all about Marvel buying Star Wars. It's got the Watcher standing and for the Watcher who is their uh, Titan, their Cosmic Titan, <clears throat> who was the host of each and every issue of What If. It has Watcher standing there and he says, I am the Watcher, your guide to the startling tales of alternate realities in every issue of What If. He has no idea that these are all going to become TV shows on on uh, Disney Plus someday. But it says, what if Spider-Man joined the Fantastic Four? What if uh, Spider-Man had never been bit by a radioactive spider. What if the Avengers had not broken up? Uh, uh, what if the Avengers had stayed together after World War II? And what if Captain America uh, was not frozen? Then below, it's got a character named 3D Man drawn by Jack Kirby. It's the cover of the Marvel premiere that has 3D Man. It says, special things happen in Marvel premiere. It has the logo. Then has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different logos. The Liberty Legion, Monarch, Star Stalker, the Man Brute Called Wood God, 3D Man, Weird World, The Torpedo, and The Mark of Cain. 
and more is coming, it says. So this page is split. Half of it is Marvel premiere. Half of it is promoting what if. The page facing this is a full page. He gets a whole page. May the farce be with you. Again, leaning all the way into the Star Wars. May the farce be with you with Howard the Duck trapped in a world he never made. He's leaping towards us in a Gene Colan illustration. Wah! He says, it literally says, wah! It says, Howard is contemporary. He reflects the reader's anger and frustration and maybe most of all his sense of impotence, the feeling that no matter what you do, things will keep on getting worse. Stan Lee. It says, get down, America. If your local newspaper doesn't feature the Daily Howard comic book strip, contact the paper's feature editor right now and demand it. Demand your duck. So Howard the Duck gets his own full-page ad. More than Cap, Thor, any of them. We're going to keep going. That's five. Six. You knew it was coming. They split on this full-pager. They give 50% to Spider-Man. America's number one superhero is now in five different Power Pack comics each and every month. I told you guys in past episodes how popular Spider-Man. Five different monthly titles. The Amazing Spider-Man. Marvel team-up featuring Spider-Man, Peter Parker, the spectacular Spider-Man, Marvel Tales starring Spider-Man, which reprinted all his earlier Ditko and Ramita senior works, and then Marvel Tales and Electric Company present Spidey Super Stories, which was more for kids. All on sale now. Then it says below that, the ever-loving Blue-Eyed Thing teams up with a new guest star each and every month in Marvel 2-in-1. Do not miss the action and the sense-shattering excitement. Brought to you by Roger Slifer and Ron Wilson. And the thing is running at us saying, it's clobbering time. And they say on both of them, on sale now. That's that's facing the toy figure ad. I think this is our last ad. Our eighth ad is latch on to, the mis- to mystical Marvel's supernatural sensations before they latch on to you. We dare you to enter the tomb of Dracula, huge Gene Colan Dracula. Ride into adventures with Ghost Rider, the most supernatural superhero of all. There's Ghost Rider on his fl- bike with his flaming cycle. And be sure to visit Dr. Strange, the master of the mystic arts, fear-filled fantasy from the haunted house of ideas. We have advertised, they have advertised at least 30 of their characters, their titles, maybe more <clears throat> in eight dedicated house ads. Marvel knew they had a hot potato. They wanted you to experience all their comics if you were going to buy a comic and chances are you were because this is the only place you could continue the adventures of star wars at this time you were going to buy this marvel star wars comic and by flipping through it you were going to be exposed to their entire line five spider-man titles a thing title where he teams up with people all the supernatural titles the conan family of titles the edgar rice burroughs titles the team books the solo superstars the other solo superstars i mean this thing is packed this shows to you that Marvel was riding this wave and 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 really getting every ounce of fume that they I mean all the fumes. They were getting all the fumes from Star Wars. I thought I'd give you guys that snapshot. 1978, Star Wars number 12, plus that absolute uh you know sales chart that shows you that 280,000, a book they didn't want to do, was was selling millions and millions of units per year for Marvel way to go. Marvel would eventually go on and publish Star Trek when Star Trek returned based on the heat that Star Trek, the motion picture was creating, but I'm getting ahead of myself. How did I come to Star Trek? Well, Star Trek was in reruns uh, in Southern California, even at my very, the first house that I remember living on, on Broadway and Magnolia, which has the uh, great, you know, four, four way, the crosswalk that, uh, that, that, that had the 7-Eleven, the liquor store, the the Stater Brothers grocery store and the Pizza Hut. Well, down the street uh, on weekends, uh, and 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 I, I lived next to one family of boys, 
And and they always at four o'clock to six o'clock every Saturday and Sunday, they had KTLA Channel 5 on watching back-to-back episodes of the original Star Trek with William Shatner, Leonard Nimoy. Uh, I remember first watching Star Trek at their house and I was hooked. Oh my gosh. You know, um, you know, eventually I would do my very best to try and watch them in my house. But for some reason, the, the TV was in big demand in Saturday afternoons, whether it was sports, whether it was golf, whether it was some, uh, something my mom was watching. So I would go over to the friend's house and I never missed Star Trek pretty much in my formative years of six, seven, eight years old. And again, getting two back-to-back uh, on Saturday and then another two back-to-back on Sunday, four to five, five to six. And, you know, they would syndicate them. I, I, I would just sit and watch Star Trek at my friend's house on the couch with pillows, you know, sitting underneath their television. They had a nice color television. Even before we graduated to color, we had a black and white television because again, dad's on a pastor's, uh, salary and mom is a secretary. We were not swimming in the cash, but Star Trek was a once, once a weekend, well, twice a weekend, twice a weekend date for me where I would consume four episodes. Um, and, and, and no matter what they were, whether it was space seed or, um, <clears throat> the city on the edge of forever, you know, I was, I was constantly, uh, besieged every weekend by this amazing show that I absolutely just could not get enough. And <clears throat> the, uh, the show that, that I favored the most, the one that made me fall in love with Star Trek, and I'll tell you who my favorite Star Trek character was because it was, um, it was really easy for me. It was just uh, a no-brainer. It is the first season, I believe, episode called Shore Leaf. And it is, uh, it is when the, the team beams down to a planet and uh, all sorts of hijinks ensue. And my favorite part about this episode, and I saw this probably in the first couple of weeks that we were watching, because I just could not even, uh, you know, I could not even begin to believe how much I, I totally dug this, this was, uh, it was very bizarre. You know, they get down to this planet, they're taking a break. There's a white rabbit. Uh, there's Alice in Wonderland. There's a, a, a samurai with a katana battling Sulu. And I'm just going to tell you right now, Sulu was at that point in time, my absolute favorite member of Star Trek. He used karate. He used martial arts. Uh, I, I have done extensive podcasts on this. Um, there's a reason that a song went to number one called Everybody Was Kung Fu Fighting. Because as I've, as I've covered uh, I think in season two, I did a, a podcast called Everyone Was Kung Fu Fighting, which talks about how Marvel got into the martial arts movement big time and never looked back and sold tons and tons of comics, really leaned into it. Master of, Shung, uh, Master of Kung Fu featuring Shang-Chi, Iron Fist, The Sons of Tiger, White Tiger, and then Deadly Hands of Kung Fu, their magazine. And they had all manner of martial arts characters. DC also entered with Richard Dragon, Kung Fu Fighter, Karate Kid, got his own series as a result. All, all manner of um, martial arts was being exposed. Bruce Lee was burning up uh, the cinemas. He was the hottest thing uh, in, in, in that late 60s, early 70s era. And his untimely death really rocked the world and put him under a greater microscope. And when I would look at Sulu, and whenever he you know, took off his shirt on the, on the, uh, on, on the bridge or, or in, in the hallways of the Enterprise, and he'd use his karate, his kung fu, his martial arts, whatever it was, judo, 
Or in this episode where he was battling this samurai who was wielding a katana, battling him. Uh, and then there's a knight, right? A knight rides, rides in out of nowhere. And if you've never seen the episode, he impales McCoy and you think McCoy dies. All kind of a fantasy island episode, you know, uh, and it just it just blew me away. I, I had the best time with that particular episode. Shore leave was my go-to. And you understand, I've said it back then, there are no VCRs. You couldn't tape this. You couldn't you couldn't tape it and play it back on a tape later. That didn't exist in, in 1974, 1975 when I'm watching these reruns. This then turns into uh, 1973, 1974. Uh, prior to that, my my introduction also at the same time was the two seasons of the cartoon show. Now, when they collected the cartoon show about 15 years ago, 14 years ago, man, I bought that thing as fast as you could say, Star Trek, the animated series. It was on CBS. They did two seasons. One was much longer than the other. But they actually, the producers are on record saying the Star Trek cartoon show of 73, 74, 72, 73, 74, was an extension of the original series. They like to think of it as the fourth season of the show. And they even had some of the uh, original writers who, who contributed to the cartoon series. They were extremely well thought out. The cool part about the cartoon uh, was that they were able to do like four-armed aliens and more more alien people that a live-action budget wouldn't allot for. And they, they spoke about this when they were doing it. But the reason that cartoon got put on the air was because in syndication after Star, Wars, Star Trek was canceled, Star Trek became so popular with kids like me. We were watching it. Again, if, if, if I'm six years old, it's, it's 1972, 73, uh, seven, you know, you just keep going through the 70s. This is on every weekend. And I can't imagine, I think later on it goes, it, it gets stripped daily in some places. It's Monday, maybe Monday through Sunday. But again, in Southern California, I remember specifically doubled up episodes that I would watch my friends and that got me into Star Trek and made me fall in love with these characters and Sulu more than ever. I always wanted Sulu to be more prominent. But what I was, what I was saying is once that episode shortly was, o- shortly was over, I would pop my head in, you know, for a year waiting for Shoreleaf to repeat. Because again, once you saw him and they cycled, you, you're going to wait you know, many months for that to come back again. That's the point of saying you can't DVR them. You can't V, V, you know, VCR, uh, sorry, VHS, uh, you know, record these and watch them back. It was just, you either saw it live and, and, and enjoyed it or you missed it and had to wait for the next time. But I loved, I loved Captain Kirk. I loved, I loved, uh, Spock. I loved the Klingons. I loved the Romulans. I just love the whole world of Star Trek. And eventually after consuming all these episodes time and again and catching shore leave a couple times, you know, Star Wars had come out. And because of the success of Star Wars and the two seasons of the cartoon, which had done very well for CBS and won them all manner of awards and acclaim, uh, the the studio, Paramount Studios, decided, wow, based on Star Wars, we, we should green light, you know, a new a new feature film. Now, for those of you who don't know, it was because of Superman and Star Wars, the success of both those movies and the fact that they were moving forward and obviously the success that they had, uh, that Paramount decided to move forward uh, with, with, with financing a big budget Star Trek movie. And <clears throat> uh, one of the, uh, just want to make sure that I have the budget of this movie right. Okay. The, uh, <clears throat> Bottom line is, as as I search for this budget, I'm going to tell you what it made opening. It's, it's opening weekend. Um, 
I think they agreed to like green light it to like a $15 million budget, which is, you got to understand that's like three times or, or maybe double and some change of what Star Wars would made for, was made for, which was about five, six million, which they shot in 1976, obviously released in 1973. Um, and, uh, but when Star Trek, the movie opened, you guys, did, did you know this, that Star Trek, the motion picture now, Again, if you're raised on Star 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 Wars as as nine year olds like me were, so that's summer of 1977, and you're watching Star Trek, you know, twice a weekend for years. So you're into Star Trek, you know that that that's that's pre-sold. You know those characters, and you understand that movies are a bigger deal than TV. You understood even back then. There's movie stars, there's TV stars, there's movie budgets, there's TV budgets. Stuff in movies always seem to look a little bigger, better. So they announced Star Trek, the motion picture, and they start running ads and the movie posters and the pre, you know, the, the, the earliest trailers. And it's like, wow, this movie's going to look huge. It's going to look big. Well, Star Wars fans expected a big budget star, Star Wars type experience featuring our favorite Star Trek Enterprise crew members, you know, Captain Kirk, Spock, McCoy, Scotty, Sulu, everybody, Uhura, and certainly uh, when I look at the motion picture ads, which again are on the back of some of these 1979 Star Wars, I, I pulled out all my ni- my uh, 19, you know, my, my my early 70s Star Wars comics, late 70s Star Wars comics. Forgive me. And on the back of some of them, as the Star Trek the motion picture is getting getting set to go in 1979, there they are, full page ads in the book, back covers, and that the way they shot the forced perspective of the Enterprise, you were expecting something huge, something big. Well. The the uh, the Star Trek movie actually uh, <clears throat> recorded history had the biggest opening weekend of all time. Did you know that? Did you know that Star Trek, the motion picture, December seventh, nineteen seventy nine, opened in eight hundred and fifty seven theaters. It set the box office record for the highest weekend o- weekend gross, the highest opening weekend gross. Gross. It made just shy of twelve million dollars. Eleven. Million nine hundred and twenty-six thousand four hundred and twenty-one. It beat the three-day record that was previously set by Superman a year earlier, nineteen seventy-eight. That had opened at ten point four million dollars. Um, eleven point nine million dollars back when that was the biggest number ever. Within the first week, the motion, uh, the, the Star Trek, the motion picture had had made seventeen million dollars. It ultimately made $82 million uh, in its theatrical run in the United States. And worldwide, the worldwide number of the Star Trek, the motion picture was $139 million. So that's a really, really big deal. And, uh, but it was, uh, the critical acclaim is recorded as being lukewarm because, uh, you know, Kids like me, and this is where I'm telling you, the advertisement, the trailers, everything promised something much bigger and bolder. And yet, it, it, to this day, it does not have a ton of action. They recut it. They put a new cut on Paramount Plus a year ago. I was right there. Boom. Clicked it. Stush, um, watched it from start to finish. I admire it as a beautiful piece of art, but as, a, as an exciting movie, it kind of failed to hit the mark. But based with those numbers, they knew they had something. So... They set in plans, you know, the sequel, which, wow, Rathacon, brilliant, perfect, amazing, uh, it, 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 everything that you would hope the original would be. But in the in-between time, 
what 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 happened was uh that that Paramount had licensed the comic books to Marvel Comics, and I would love to tell you that these were spectacular. They they, they did it in one of their um in the same way that they did the adaptation of Close Encounters of the you know Third Kind and 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 uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark uh adaptations. They did an adaptation of the movie, which was in one of their magazines. But uh, I would love to sit and tell you that the 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 comic books have had these uh this this great you know history but ultimately gold key when those reprint um when those reruns were airing and and it was syndicated gold key had the comic books i'd see them occasionally i'd flip through them they were not anything special there is not a notable star trek comic book that anyone has ever discussed talked about uh holds up as some great milestone some you know blue ribbon achievement and uh gold key had kind of run the course and I think, again, going back to Star Wars and the success that Marvel had had with launching that, they're like, well, Marvel, if we can get Marvel to do our Star Trek comic, we'll get more eyeballs, we'll get, we'll get more attention. So they did. They licensed it to Marvel. It was very, very brief in the 80s. Uh, by, by, by 1984, DC was publishing the, the Star Trek line of comic books. But Marvel had them. And other than some really great Frank Miller of Daredevil and Dark Knight Returns covers, I, I am not going to lie to you and tell you that they're anything even remotely um, special. I think Marvel had the most success with Star, Star Wars. They had the most success after that with Battlestar Galactica, which they started publishing in 1978. So it was, again, if you're somebody who wants Marvel to do the comics, I don't know what kind of constraints they were under. I haven't gotten to any uh, specific tidbits. If I ever get them, we'll, we'll share them in the tidbits at the top of the next show or the the upcoming shows that discuss like maybe what constraints they were under, what they could and couldn't do. Certainly, again, someday we'll get into the Marvel extended adaptation of these comics because they were definitely um, operating with handcuffs in in terms of what Lucas allowed them to do, and they got very creative with those solutions. Star Trek, the Marvel comics, did not last uh, very long. <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> they literally only published eighteen issues and. Uh, which is maybe six, seven less than they published of both John Carter, Warlord of Mars, and Battlestar Galactica. And then in 1984, DC Comics uh, picked up the DC the the Star Trek series based on the success of Wrath of Khan. Uh, <clears throat> they they continued to to uh, publish it. Through 1988, they ultimately did 56 issues with three annuals. Okay, uh, let me tell you something. When Wrath of Khan came out, my friend John Trin and his dad, we all went and saw the afternoon matinee, the Saturday afternoon matinee of matinee of Wrath of Khan. We had seen Space Seed. We knew that this was a sequel to that, and I could not believe how amazing I saw Wrath of Khan about three times that summer. I absolutely loved it, as as all of you have loved it. It is it is it is uh, held in the highest regard. Uh, the Kobayashi Maru, uh, Kirstie Alley, just Khan, that that savage, barbaric presence uh, that he had uh, commanding a starship, the viciousness with which he wanted to hurt and harm uh, Kirk and everything that he loved. Just a fabulous movie, really well-paced, well-made, loved it. Was back a couple of years later for the search for Spock, was completely locked in on that journey, loved that. Um, I still, to this day, because I knew him from Taxi, I, I just uh, <laughs> he uh, the, the the Klingon commander, um, uh, you know, 
to this day, I, I have a hard time be, because again, um, I just, <laughs> I just saw uh, Christopher Lloyd as as Jim from Taxi as that Klingon. That it, it, to this day, that's the one thing that hampers me. Kids my age whose parents watched Taxi, Jim was a seminal character, a hugely memorable character with a giant pop culture footprint, and he has such a memorable face. Now, again, this is before Doc Brown, but eventually, you know, all I, I'll, if when I go back now, I not only see him as as Jim from Taxi, I see him as Doc Brown as well. So, little little bit of a, a, a departure there. But again, the DC Comics, outside of having some really great covers, George Perez, uh, my friend, my friend Jerome K. Moore uh, brought everything he had to bear and more in regards to uh, doing some tremendous covers. For Star Star Trek, DC Star Trek was slightly more polished than Marvel's, but still, again, I, I, I find them both at a at a failure to launch. Ultimately, I'm gonna just cut to the cut to the you know cut to the quick and tell you the single best Star Trek comic published is the 1996 1997 uh, Star Trek X Men. Uh, I think Scott Lobdell wrote it. I know for certain Mark Silvestri illustrated it. It is fantastic. Someone figured out how to get the X Men and the Star Trek in in Star Trek uh, cast and characters in the same adventure. If you can find the Star Trek X Men, I flipped through it again the other night. Mark was allowed to do likenesses, so he is drawing. You know, William Shatner. He is drawing Nimoy in his incredible Mark Silvestri style. You guys know what an incredible Mark Silvestri Homer that I am, and that Star Trek X Men team up one shot is worth hunting down if you can possibly get it. It is fantastic. Uh, I have a couple copies in my collection. I flipped through them before coming on the show today. They are just, uh, you know, a, it's a real hoot. It, it it sold very well. It was such a giant pop culture moment. How could it not? <clears throat> and by that time, Star Trek was now a theatrical property that, like, you know, uh, it, the, the next generation had come and gone, but 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 Star Trek was now just as familiar in movies as it had been, uh, and and again, thanks to the next generation coming back and resurging the entire you know, franchise and the entire operation. But I'm going to tell you the best comic ever published is in fact, the, uh, the, 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 with Star Trek is the X-Men crossover. I'm sorry. The art is just to die for, but, but both DC and Marvel did slap some really nice covers on it. I know IDW has had the Star Trek, um, license. Uh, I'm not sure if they still do. Um, they, they put Star Trek together with the Legion of Superheroes from DC comics, which is cool. Another, <coughs> excuse me, another really cool kind of pop culture adventure, but I, I cannot, continue without at least mentioning star trek the voyage home so so the thing with star trek the voyage home you gotta understand if this is rob's observations i gotta put my very specific interaction with this movie and it's it's very memorable to me my buddy jeff uh i actually based a comic book character called brahma on him featured him in young blood he was my very best friend at the time we uh went to visit one of our friends in Diamond Bar, Jeff Lifton Diamond Bar. We were going to go see Star Trek The Voyage Home at the Century Synodome, which was a favored, uh, celebrated theater house in, in, in the city of Orange, which they eventually tore down and put beautiful condos on. But uh, it was a one-of-a-kind, had the big giant domes. It was visible from the freeway. It was a really epic landmark. I saw so many. The Ra- Raiders of the Lost Ark, all three movies, Batman, uh, RoboCop, Terminator, you know, Terminator 2, all of the kind of the seminal movies of my youth, uh, clearly Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, Star Wars, all viewed at the Cynodome. Uh, 
we we wanted to go see Star Trek The Voyage Home and we wanted to go by and see if our friend would go with us. He was the manager at a pizza place. There was a a fight that broke out because these, uh, back, for lack of a better term, they, they were all white guys, but they were like a gang. White gang members were harassing an elderly couple. It was really hard to watch and we stepped in to kind of intervene. This then became an official rumble. It carried a, a it carried across the street into the 7-Eleven. Um, one of the guys ran in, one of the white gang members ran in and grabbed a leader of Dr. Pepper and started swinging around at us and it, and it got spilled out into the streets anyway. My buddy Jeff's a big guy and uh, they, they threw punches and, and, and Jeff knocked, knocked the one guy out and, uh, or down, not out, down. <clears throat> Another guy identified himself as an off-duty police officer and said, look, I'm going to handle this. You guys get out of here. He was wearing a cardigan sweater. He literally approached us from a car out right out on the sidewalk in front of 7-Eleven. And we were like, well, we got to make a movie. If, if that sounds crazy, adrenaline was pumping. It was just the fight. We didn't expect for these people to have a, a fight. They were just literally harassing this elderly couple uh, at the bottom of the stairs uh, because the pizza place was up at the second level of a business uh, business park, kind of a, you know, not a business park, but where all the businesses was, were. It was a very, very popular pizza joint. And so again, we're trying to stand up for these people, but these guys got, I don't know if they were drunk, high, whatever. We get in this fight. It it escalates and then it's over. And then we get in the car. We go see Star, see Star Trek The Voyage Home. I thought it was great. I thought, man, this is one of the most commercial concepts. It has the the whole kind of back to the future element, the time travel. It's cool. Star Trek always does time travel well, going back to the original series. And uh, we see it. We're done. My car is parked at Jeff's in Diamond Bar. We drive back up. And there's two cop cars at his house and we go in and the cops are talking to Jeff's parents and we are to be arrested <clears throat> for assaulting this guy in a fight. And so they uh, take us away, cuff us, put us in the car. I then spend the next 24 hours of my life <laughs> in, in jail in Pomona, uh, in an LA County jail. Uh, my mom is crying. It's so funny. Uh, so, so at that point in, in, at that point in my life, I am, I am 18, 19, and uh, yes, working in comics already and, and going to spend an evening in jail. And so uh, I'm out five o'clock the next day, long day, interrogations in the white room, given whatever. But that is all centered around Star Trek that I will never forget the voyage home. That will always have a different meaning to me. Being in the slammer and uh, across the way from us, I won't do the high-pitched voice, but having someone... Uh, yell out for officer all night long. I, I can scream it, and that's how it sounded. Officer, officer. And uh, they handed me food that I would never think a human would even want to touch. And I, I we were in different cells. I was in shorts and a t-shirt and had to sleep on a crusty plastic vinyl mattress. And the guy that they put in my slammer with me <laughs> said, you're not, you're not going to eat your lunch? You're not going to eat your food? Man, he gobbled it up in the corner as fast as he could. Uh, uh, you have to take your, you have to, you know, go to the restroom in front of another dude right in there. It's the toilets right there in the, <laughs> in the jail cell. Oh boy. Memories, baby. Memories. Star Trek has, has a strong presence with me. Look, as the next generation was announced, Star Trek, the next generation, uh, <clears throat> that is a bond that I had with Mr. Jim Valentino. We were sharing a studio at the time and we agreed to have a party to watch Star Trek The Next Generation premiere. Again, this was a big 
I mean, you, you have no idea how, uh, what a big deal that was when it premiered. It was a really big deal. And so on, uh, I believe it was around September sometime, September, let's see, I think it's September 18th, uh, September 28th, uh, 1987. So just basically a year later, we gathered, I, I gathered with Jim Valentino at his house and his family. And, and I, I want to say that Art Tiber was there, uh, the great illustrator, inker, embellisher, Art Tiber. But I know I was with Jim and his entire family, and we watched the premiere of Star Trek The Next Generation. And then for the next several years, Jim and I would see every, every release. We saw Star Trek V together at the Orange Cynodome. We saw Star Trek VI. We just kept going to the movies as well as watching the shows. I, I on that first night that Star Trek The Next Generation debuted, I sat and I said, Worf is Wolverine, Riker is Cyclops, Picard is Charles Xavier. Um, <clears throat> data, I, you know, I didn't really have anybody for data, but they seem like the X-Men on a starship to me. That's, that's exactly who they, they, they seem like to me. And, uh, <clears throat> I just, I feel like, uh, and, and, and the fact that, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Deanna, Deanna Troy reminded me of Jean Grey. So I had Professor Xavier, Cyclops, Wolverine. And 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 Jean Grey on the bridge of, of the Enterprise on this next generation. And I really did feel like they were very much the next generation cast was based on some version of the X-Men in space. And I believe that in 1987. And so it was no surprise to me when in 2000, you know, Patrick Stewart would also be Professor Xavier. Yes, I am watching Picard season three. You also should watch Picard season three. Here's the weird thing. And he, and here's here's just just like the a recent podcast I did. Where you meet these characters matters. I wasn't there for the dawn of Star Trek, but I saw the original cast and the cartoon. The cartoon I was there for the debut of, the original cast I was there in reruns and and caught them in formative years, but was not there at the dawn. You know, thank you, Lucille Ball and your production company for putting that show on the air in the first place. But, uh, you know, I was there as the movie, the motion picture happened, Star Trek, the motion picture. I mean, so very formal. And, uh, and then, of course, The Next Generation, I was there for the launch. Now, I didn't stay around. I, I, when, when Star Trek, when the, when the original syndicated show of Next Generation, those adventures ended, I kind of said goodbye for a while. I didn't uh, see Deep Space Nine. I saw the premiere. Uh, I, I just kind of was uh, busier than I had ever been at that period in my life. I didn't kind of make that appointment character, the appointment television. I didn't fall in love with it uh, the way that so many others people did and, and and my friends would say rob it's the best one it's the best one i believe you i'm not going to argue with you um i, I just t- for me the most complete journey that i made was with the original series and with the next generation and then i've been watching discovery you know all of the different spinoffs and uh, new frontiers whatever i hope i got that right and uh, and i've been watching picard of course and now season three uh is the strongest of all the seasons it's on paramount plus uh, you should you should catch it. It it literally is is the best flavor of of the three seasons since they put it out. I think you're going to dig it. Some cool new characters, some cool new situations. It really feels like a legacy sequel more so than the first two seasons. So absolutely get in on that uh, if you possibly can. But yeah, I have loved Star Trek uh, forever and ever, and and have followed them. Uh, had one eye on the comics, much more so when I was younger. 
but I just don't feel like the comic books ever helped form or inform, uh, you know, the, 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 the actual master, the, the, the master property, the, the, the big IP in a way that say, uh, even, even the cartoon, you guys, the cartoon that I'm mentioning, the 1973 cartoon, I mean, they had a, uh, they had a sequel to, to Tribbles and in, and in, uh, more Tribbles, more Troubles. And they actually wrote it as a sequel to the Trouble with Tribbles episode. Uh, Yesteryear uh, was was my favorite one, and it when it's it's when Spock is able to go back in time. But I'll tell you one of the cool things that the uh, that the show did that you a novelty you don't know about is that James T. Kirk was his name on the show, right? But you didn't learn that that T stood for Tiberius until the cartoon show. Okay, the animated series on CBS, 1972, 1973-74, that is when they actually established that the T stood for Tiberius, so there you go. Um, But there were certainly threads and references and characters introduced in the cartoon that they would later make reference to across the live-action productions of these characters and and this show. But I, I, uh, I followed all of the... Star Trek Next Generation movies and and uh, as they wound down and 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 the Kirk the Shatner uh, you know cast passed the baton to Stewart and they were now going to live in the big motion picture world uh, you know Nemesis and and some of the later films were were disappointing to me I didn't love them as much but I love those characters that the, the highlight of the Next Generation I, I my favorites are, are your favorites okay um, best of both worlds. Uh, anything with Q in it, the 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 Klingon civil war, anything with the the Borg. I mean, I was there for all of it. I it was to me the best sci-fi soap opera of 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 that era of maybe any era. I just think the Next Generation operated, you know, on full tilt and uh, and delivered almost each and every time. The, the Ferengi first season one, I remember going, eh, do I am I going to love this? But man, by by season two, Star Trek: The Next Generation just started delivering winner after winner after winner. The holodeck also served as the danger room to me. I mean, come on, you, people who are grown who grew up on the X-Men and, and now are encountering Star Trek the Next Generation, I can't be alone in that, right? I mean, you saw it as the as as the danger room too, but they did great stuff. I mean, there was holodeck stuff with Worf and Riker battling in like the jungles and then, you know, the holodeck would you know, wipe it all away and they'd be standing there and you're like, this is like the danger room. This is killer. And I loved Worf's saga again, the 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 civil, the, the Klingon civil war with his brother. Um when everyone turned their back and gave, you know, exile to Worf. Oh, huge emotional moments. Great series. Great, great cast. Loved them. By the end of the Next Generation movies, I, I really felt like they were doing more harm than good. Now, here's the deal. I am going to tell you, my favorite Star Trek anything anywhere remains the 2009 J.J. Abrams reboot with Chris Pine and that entire cast. Uh, I have never, I, I, it's the single Star Trek property product that i have seen the most i have at least seen it a dozen or more times i will at least try and watch it once a year and uh it just the pacing the storytelling the casting that's tough that is a really tough nut to rise up and uh, and attempt to recast a classic and they did it and it worked and eric banya is fantastic and the romulan threat and and just all of the different uh dilemmas that they have to uh work through in that movie but again the cast is everything i really 
like Into Darkness. I didn't like it as much as 2009, but man, I thought Into the Into Darkness was given the hard shaft. I don't know why everyone reacted as 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 much as they did. I don't know if it was just a reaction to J.J. Abrams trying to, you know, hide that that was indeed con, but we all we all knew it. Um, but I didn't resent him so as so much of the press did. But I actually think as a movie, it works. The whole movie works. It's thrilling. It's exciting. Again, J.J. Uh, really shot the hell out of that stuff. And I'll tell you, I, I will be honest, I was depressed when I heard he was leaving to do Star Wars and abandoning Star Trek because I really, I enjoy J.J. Star Trek guy more than I enjoy J.J. Star Wars guy. And J.J. Star Wars guy is fine. I enjoy that. But I just, those first two Star Trek movies are fantastic. It is criminal to me that they have not made more with them. When Quentin Tarantino was supposedly writing his screenplay, couple of years back, I, I had the highest hopes. I, I thought, oh my gosh, are we going to hit a level of excellence that we have never dreamed of, never, you know, never, you know, interacted with in regards to Star Trek? I was so thrilled. I, I just, I'm still leaving a candle, one, one candle burning for that experience because Quentin Tarantino writing a Star Trek would just blow my mind. I love Star Trek. The 2009 Star Trek, I just think from the, the Beastie Boys uh, blasting young Kirk, young Tiberius Kirk stealing the car, being, being, uh, run down by the RoboCop. And then everything I, at the end, I always, that, that last, uh, you know, line when he says you are relieved and he says, I am relieved. Uh, it just when, when, when Kirk is, is having his back and forth with the Admiral, uh, love that movie. Think it's, it's, it's one of those movies that I would say is perfect. It is flawless. I have high hopes for the future of Star Trek. I know, like Star Wars, it has now been regulated to streaming. Everything Star Trek is streaming, just like everything Star Wars is streaming. And I hope both of them can find their way back to the cineplexes. The the uh, the comic book history of both of the of 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 all of the Star Trek properties is not strong. Uh, I'm not even sure they sell a ton of merchandise. It's a weird uh, property. I think it's it's why it is not maybe viewed in the same commercial uh, uh, realm. As Star Wars, because Star Wars' middle name is moving merchandise and toys and and all things collectible. Where Star Trek just has its hardcore. Um, people love it. I love it. I, I am not isolated from other franchises just because I love Star Trek. But I love Star Trek. I'm not going to paint myself as the biggest fan because I clearly have just told you whether it's you know Voyager or 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 Deep Space Nine. I, I didn't join for those journeys, so I'm in a different box. But the Star Trek that I have consumed, I love. And and I figured, how did I go three seasons without ever mentioning Star Trek? Again, uh, some great Frank Millers on those Marvel comics, some great George Perez and Jerome, Jerome K. Moore and other brilliant covers on the, on the comic book series. I just don't know why they never made the same impact. But the fact is, the Star Trek comics have always kind of struggled. And it's kind of just part of this entire <clears throat> DNA that's built in to this franchise that it has really moments of epic greatness and then it is capable uh, i'm not a nemesis fan so i'll throw nemesis under the bus uh, of of kind of a mediocre um, mediocrity mediocre outing in something like a star trek nemesis but anyway still rooting for that franchise on board for that franchise you should be watching picard season three i loved just giving an hour to star trek and and, and sharing with you my relation with star trek and and again, every maybe you're maybe you're a Star Trek Voyager guy, maybe you're a Star Trek Deep Space Nine guy, maybe you're a Discovery. Again, it all depends on when you depict them. Well, uh, well, I'm sorry, not depict them. When you encounter these characters in these worlds, and 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 how near and dear they 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 are to you. I was lucky. 
I caught them, I would call it in the first wave of syndication and was able to carry. Uh, I, I shared with you guys a couple of years ago how Joy and I were waiting for the elevator and and our um, it was right out of COVID. It was at New York Comic Con 20, 2021 and William Shatner came out and uh, I had met Bill on a couple different a couple different uh, comic book signings, but he, you know I wouldn't expect him to remember me, but I was comfortable in you know saying hey what's up um, and 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 we're so excited that you're going to the moon and and I, I shared with you guys he goes why I haven't gone yet and it was. <laughs> My wife just got a big pick. I've got to come back. I've got to come back a lot. And uh, just what a fun guy. Always, my interactions with him are always great. He'll always be Captain uh, James Tiberius Kirk to me. I love Star Trek. I hope you do if you do as well. If you do not, check out one of these. Even Star Trek motion picture on Paramount Plus is worth a, a sit through. As a kid, it was rough. You wanted a lot more action. You didn't get it. Okay, Viger was its own entity, its own thing. Brilliantly shot, beautiful movie. Rathacon is going to always be my speed. The 2009 Star Trek is perfect. The comic books are decent. If you want to check them out, do so. And 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 that is uh, today's uh, uh, walk down memory lane, walking through kind of a fast track of Star Trek's uh, impact on on pop culture. And and we 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 root Star Trek on and look and look forward to where it goes next. At the end of each and every episode of Raw Observations, I read the reviews that you have placed for me across all the different platforms. Each international platform has a different place to do that as well. I'm going to read an international uh, uh, review that was left on the uh, Great Britain platform today, and, and it, it's, it's really fun. It's really great. I, I appreciate it so much. Every time that you interact with this podcast and you uh, leave your thoughts and your reviews and your five stars, it generates uh, extra buzz for us. It helps the platform. It breaks us out, helps us uh, stand out against the rest. I appreciate it so much. Uh, you are all the reasons that I roll up to this mic and I talk about past sci-fi, comic books, pop culture stuff. Uh, it is absolutely my passion. I love sharing it with you and I love when you guys are excited by it. Here today, I am reading from a gentleman named Bristol67. Bristol67 gave us five star and, and he named it five-star greatness, exclamation point. He says, emergency, emergency, calling Dr. Rob. There is nothing better than growing up and joining Dr. Rob at the autopsy slab as he cuts deeper into another comic book classic. Thank you, Rob, for adding more flesh to the bones. What a show, all in caps. His name is actually T. Lewis. His handle is Bristol67. He left this on the Great Britain platform and Apple uh, podcast. I am so excited to share that with you today and i'm so excited that you decided to commit and and write a review for us and give us five stars thank you t lewis thank you bristol 67 for that very generous um i I do love the autopsy episodes they're a little more time consuming that's why there's not as many of them but there will be many more to come thank you for listening all over social media let's go down my uh my my different platforms on twitter I am at Robert Liefeld. Let's screw the whole blue check thing because those are going away any day now. At Robert Liefeld. Um, I love interacting with you. That's the full name, R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D. Robert Liefeld is where you're going to find me on Twitter. I love talking to you, hearing your replies, your DMs, your messages. Thank you for interacting with me over on that platform. I appreciate it so much. I am on Instagram at Rob Liefeld, just Rob Liefeld. That has the blue check while it lasts. It's, it's supposed to be a verification of sorts that you know you're talking to the real me and not the fake uh, imposters. Uh, I, I use Instagram to give you my photo dump of my work, uh, some sneak previews of what I'm working on. Always, I try and give you a sneak preview of whatever I'm drawing um, out with my family, what I'm eating, where I'm going, the stuff that we're doing. It's just a giant photo dump. Uh, uh, 
deemed by my own children as cringe. So, so, um, follow me on my cringe account at, 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 at Rob Liefeld over on Instagram. On Facebook, I have a group. It's called Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond. I would love for you to join us and continue the conversations that we have here. We have all manner of different uh, discussions going on all, all, all through the day, all across um, all the different um, topics and subjects. Join us, either myself or a gentleman named Terry Sala, S-A-L-A. We'll click you through. We're the administrators on Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond. Feel free to look it up on Facebook. Join us and we will click you through. And, and I look forward to adding you to our conversation. Whatnot is an app that I am on. You can follow me to get updates. Rob Liefeld. I am Rob Liefeld on Whatnot. You can get that uh, they offer all manner of collectibles, uh, comic books, trading cards, playing cards, Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon, sports gear, kicks, shoes, apparel, Funkos, toys. On my when I am on my whatnot feeds, I am looking right at you. I talk to you for two, three, four hours. I share with you signed comics, uh, artwork, uh, Funko Pops, signed toys. It is a blast. I love uh, interacting with you. Many people feel it is a is an extension of this very podcast where I'm just speaking, trying to hold your attention for the entire time, talking nervously, dropping different dimes, industry stuff. Join me on whatnot. Follow me as Rob Liefeld. You'll you'll get the notifications if you follow me of when my next show is going to go live. Thank you very much. Uh, If you are going to download that and follow me, I thank you in advance. You know me. I'm always rooting for you. I want you guys to do well. Uh, It feels like we're slightly sometimes coming out of this craziness in this world and then something sets us back. I need my escapes. If I don't have my escapes, I am good for nothing. Uh, I, I, my escapes are comic books, movies, spending time with my family, eating fun food, going to restaurants, uh, burgers, pizza, lasagna, you know, uh, gourmet tacos, all the different haunts that I that I that I frequent. I love candy. I love Reese's peanut butter big cups. I love M and M's. I love Butterfingers. There wasn't a candy bar made that wasn't ready for my uh, to, 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 to to destroy my teeth. <laughs> I, I, of course, I stuttered as I said, to destroy my teeth. Anyway, what I'm basically saying is when I read my comics, I, I mentioned this episode, I went and got those news, newsstand, newsprint, uh, individual 1977, 78, 79, 1980, all the Star Wars comics before Empire Strikes Back. I got them, I plopped down in my beanbag and I just, you know, spent at least two afternoons flipping through, you know, 36 comics and checking them out and reliving those memories. And I'd even say to my son as he walked through the, you know, the room to go to the kitchen, I said, this just takes me away. Is this how your cards are? Do they take you away? Your Pokemon cards, your Yu-Gi-Oh cards. He's a huge collector of that stuff. He also loves anime and, and, uh, and manga. And it's like, yeah, dad, it does. It does. It takes me back. And so again, I am just advocating, take that time, escape. I needed to escape into these Star Wars comics and be, and be taken to another place. Uh, d- given everything that we've had going on in our family, we had a lot of craziness going on. And, uh, and, and again, I, I know of what I speak. There is just a comes a time and a place to just escape. And I hope you do it with art, with art, music, novels, writings, drawings, and, uh, because art exists to help us to escape movies, streaming, all of it. It's on the table. I'm rooting for you. I want your spiritual, emotional, physical, and mental well-being to be as strong as possible. So fist bump through the pot podcast. I am rooting for you. Here's the deal. Come back, find me. I'm going to be here. I'm going to be here waiting because we will most certainly, absolutely, inevitably talk again real soon. Mm-hmm.